1: Today, our SI dispatch from our news desk team will be talking to staff writer Chris Chavez with updates from the world of running and marathons, plus SI's Emma Bachelieri breaks down news surrounding baseball, both domestically and around the globe. First, here's a recap of the weekend's developments around coronavirus and sports. On Friday, the U.S. women's national team's battle for equality suffered a major hit, as a federal judge rejected the team's claims of wage discrimination in comparison to their male counterparts. Judge R. Gary Klausner wrote in his decision that the women's team did not prove wage discrimination under the Equal Pay Act as they played more games and made more money than the men's team. Claims by the players of unequal travel conditions, especially charter flights and hotel stay, medical and training support can still go to trial. Here's SI's legal analyst, Michael McCann.
0: The players' union negotiated a collective bargaining agreement that dictated how they would be paid. And that's always been a big hurdle for the players, that their union agreed to a set of terms. It's hard to unwind that, and the judge wasn't willing to do so. So most of the case is now out on summary judgment. Parts of it remain including issues of airfare and hotel accommodations. The players convinced the judge that there may be discrimination there. Those questions will go to a jury on June 16th, assuming the trial happens. But most of the cases is out.
1: On Saturday, former vice president and presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden tweeted in support of the women's national team, encouraging them not to give up the fight. In addition, he gave a stark warning to the U.S. Soccer Federation that as president, he would cut funding if they don't receive equal pay. Finally, on Sunday night, ESPN broadcasted episodes 5 and 6 of The Last Dance and once again attracted the attention of millions on social media. The episodes, which are now at midway point, were even more nostalgic than usual as the night began with Kobe Bryant speaking and being spoken about as we were taking back to the 1998 All-Star Game and at 19, Kobe walking in as the youngest ever All-Star. The episode also gave us the birth of Michael Jordan's relationship with Nike and Air Jordan and MJ's Olympic experience in Barcelona. The sixth episode took a more introspective look as the film examined Jordan's problems with gambling and fame, which made him feel almost claustrophobic. But the issue, he said, in one famous soundbite, always came down to having the ultimate competition problem. The Last Dance on ESPN can be shown every Sunday night at 9 and 10 p.m. Eastern. As MLB continues to battle with scheduling in order to find a return to action, plenty of other storylines trickle across the baseball community. Today, for example, SI's daily cover features the fascinating growing world of playing cards and box breaking, written by our own Emma Bachelieri, who joins us today. Make sure you read her piece on si.com. Joining us now is Sports Illustrated writer Emma Bachelieri. Emma, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. It's nice to chat.
1: Absolutely. Let's get straight into it, Emma. Let's talk about MLB draft. The original schedule was set for June 10th, but there's been some moving parts due to COVID-19. You wrote about it, of course. Where are we right now and how does the you know, outlook look uh, in the near future?
2: Yeah. So the biggest change we're looking at for the draft this year is that it could be as few as five rounds, which uh, MLB has traditionally had a very long draft, um, you know, dozens of rounds, thousands of players to populate a very big minor league system. Um, But right now, as we're looking at, you know, potentially no minor league baseball at all this year, even as, you know, MLB looks to hopefully have some sort of major league season, MLB was already looking to kind of contract some of the minor league teams and get rid of some teams there. Um, In addition to all of the complications that come up logistically with building out a draft, they're also looking at – the logistic complications of continuing to have minor league baseball as we know it at the scale we see it. And so because of that, it's going to be a much smaller draft than usual. And as for the the draft itself, uh, a lot of questions are up in the air too about just where that's going to be, if it's going to be totally remote, if you know, by June, July, it's able to be somewhat centralized in terms of having you know, league officials in the same place, but players at home, if it's going to be in June or July, it could be June 10th when it was originally scheduled. But they've uh, built in some leeway there to push it back later in June into July. Yeah, there's just all sorts of questions right now about what that's going to look like, uh, when, where, pretty much all we know is it's going to be much smaller.
1: Now, as I mentioned, you wrote a great piece about it because, you know, even though it's a shorter draft as you say there are or there is room for so many opportunities to be creative and you wrote a great piece on how MLB can learn from the NFL draft which was so successful obviously MLB draft is is not in terms of viewership in the past compared to the NFL but what are some of the things that baseball can do in order to make it more engaging do you think
2: yeah so i think baseball was actually already looking at trying to make the draft more of an event you know even before Everything that's happened over the last couple of months with coronavirus um, at the end of last year, they announced that they were moving the draft from Secaucus, not a very glamorous location, to Omaha, which is also not a very glamorous location, but Omaha would have let it line up with um, the College Baseball World Series, which is always held in Omaha. So for them to have the draft at the same time as the biggest moment for college baseball was going to be potentially huge and a, a really good opportunity for them to make the draft something a little bigger at, you know, for what is for many people, the only time of the year when you're paying attention to college baseball to loop the draft into that, they were already looking at kind of making that a bit more of an event, a bit more of something that people would want to watch and pay attention to. And, uh, you know, now looking ahead, we've seen, like you said, uh the NFL draft pulled off a, a really successful version of a a virtual draft showing how much fun that can be to watch remotely. And uh, I think that provides an opportunity for baseball to kind of step in and and to do something similar that, you know, this has never been an event that's attracted a lot of attention, but if June rolls around and we're still looking at a, a sports calendar, that's really empty. We still don't know when we'll be able to watch sports again. If there is that kind of thirst for anything that's, Sports related and the MLB draft is stepping in. Yeah, it's an opportunity to just really highlight some of these players who otherwise would not have gotten much attention at all. General managers and execs at home, that was one of the most fun parts of the NFL draft to bring that here also could be a lot of fun. Um and yeah, just now that we've seen a draft it does not have to be boring um, just because it's done at home. Now that there's a, a blueprint for that, I think it could work even for a draft that traditionally Hasn't been as big a deal. Like you, you'll see with MLB.
1: So let's let's talk about what everybody's really thinking uh, and talking about. When will action return? Obviously, it's such a difficult question to ask because it really is not really down to us or even uh, these leagues. As and as MLB looks ahead to possibly starting a pandemic-delayed season. There's a lot of talk about creating hubs where teams could play in specific areas, specific states. I know Arizona, Florida, Texas are being mentioned. What's the latest on that uh, development?
2: Yeah, it's still extremely up in the air. Um, It's still really hard to answer a a when, a where, um, a how. But yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot of things in play, uh, lots of choices on the table. And because of that, I do think there's some decent level of optimism around the idea that there is going to be baseball this year. Again, it it could take any form right now. It's hard to say. Um, It, you know, almost certainly isn't going to be in May even in June, that's a big question mark, but July, uh, that, that does seem to be on the table. There are ways to do this. They've been in consultation with lots of different public health experts, epidemiologists, um, all sorts of people who are looking at the logistics of it. And, uh, whether that's in hubs, like you said, in Arizona, Texas, and Florida, whether it's some variation of that, um, you know, if there's the infrastructure to support something like that, which mostly would include, um, testing for coronavirus, the ability to test players and team employees and everyone who would be needed relatively frequently if the country is in a spot where, you know, other things are reopening, which we're seeing kind of a push toward uh, in other capacities around the country, uh, then, yeah, the possibility of something in July looks pretty promising, although what that something is has a lot up in the air
1: a blind glimmer of hope but a a glimmer of hope nonetheless you wrote also a really uh one of the first stories on taiwan and how over there its baseball league is going a, a, a bit without fans what's the story there and, and where are we uh in, in that location
2: yeah so in taiwan the uh chinese professional baseball league which is their league and it's considered usually you know the third biggest one in asia you have the japanese league the korean league and then you have this one in taiwan it's been up and running for uh, weeks now, uh, and, and it's been doing really well. They've uh, started streaming games online for American fans. They have an English-language stream for the first time that's been really successful. They've had a couple million viewers over the three or four weeks they've been playing, uh, which is, has exceeded their expectations by all accounts. Um, it, it, it's a lot of fun to watch. They do have some American players over there. And yeah, like you said, it's without fans, which is also probably what uh, MLB will be looking at whenever it does return. Uh, but but they still managed to make those broadcasts a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of stadium noise. The broadcasters, I think, are doing a very good job of keeping up a sense of, you know, you can't mimic the crowd's noise, but you can really bring the viewers in. You can get a good rapport going. They're doing a good job of, making you feel like you're not watching baseball without fans. And so I think that's um, a really promising sign that when baseball does come back in the States, even if it's without fans, which it probably will be, it it can still be a lot of fun. It can still be really engaging. The Korean League, KBO, will probably be back this first week in May, which is really exciting and promising. Uh, And so there will be another blueprint there of a league that's even bigger. It has more logistics to handle and also is now in a place where it's able to get off the ground.
1: Yes, little by little, uh, you can see it and I'm sure lessons can be taken. Emma, I know that you mentioned, you know, about the possibility of maybe July. Nobody knows. Obviously, there's so many questions up in the air. But in your opinion, what does it look like? Do you think uh, the future of the league in terms of this year, even further than July? Do we have a, a shorter playoff system? Does it become even more... Uh, pressurizing just because it's shorter? What teams suffer? What do you think baseball MLB looks like uh, as we look onto July and ahead?
2: Well, there has been talk of extending the season past September, October. I don't think we're going to see it pushed much beyond that. So the idea of playing anything close to a full season, I, I personally think is not going to happen. I think it's more likely that we see something along the lines of an 81-game season, half a season, uh, which then would provide a lot of opportunities for a really different playoff, which could be a lot of fun. Um, There's been some talk of maybe a a totally expanded playoff field. You know, the idea of having, if not every team making the playoffs, having a very full playoff field where you're having some sort of round-robin tournament um, leading up to the World Series rather than just the traditional, you know, divisional series, league championship series. Which I think could be a lot of fun, could be really interesting. I think the the big takeaway here for me is that everyone realizes the season will not be normal. There's not really a space to make it normal, and to have any baseball at all if it's done in a way that's safe and compliant with public health guidelines will be a good thing, and to just appreciate it for what it is. So I think using this chance to kind of experiment with the playoff format to realize this won't be a conventional playoff system. This won't be a regular World Series. I I think that's good. I think that, you know, doing something that can involve as many teams as possible in a way that's fun and engaging is probably a a net benefit. Um, I think it can make for a really exciting October, even if October this year is in November. Yeah, I think we'll certainly see something different. But at this point, it seems like it's leaning more towards there will be something. And I think that's a good thing.
1: A good thing. Indeed. SI writer, uh, and really a great person to follow on Twitter. If you haven't already, Emma Bachelieri, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
1: We'll return after these short messages.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're hear in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment.
1: That is a harsh lesson in business.
2: Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names
0: together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
2: many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
1: In any normal year, spring also means the arrival of marathon season but given the outbreak, major events such as the London and Boston Marathons were forced to reschedule. Big running events aside, COVID-19 has severely impacted the running community in more ways than one. Here's SI's Chris Chavis. Joining us now is my colleague, Chris Chavez, SI writer, especially for track and field marathons, the Olympics. He's the founder of Citius Mag and the podcast host of Runners of NYC. Chris, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Chris, let's begin with some generally recent news as USA Track and Field Committee set some new dates for the 2021 Olympic trials. When will those be? And what are the latest updates uh, in regards to the trials themselves?
0: Yeah, so the U.S. Olympic trials in 2020 have been moved, obviously, to 2021. The Olympic trials are the track meet. It happens over a span of 10 days where the top three finishers in each event uh, that have the qualifying standards or marks for uh, the Olympics will go to the summer games in Tokyo. So pretty much it's finished the top three in your event. And as long as you have run fast enough, jump far enough or thrown far enough, whatever it is, you get to go to the Olympics. And so the meet was initially going to be held in late June of this year, obviously, you know, maybe four or five weeks before the Olympics. And now because the Olympics have been moved to 2021, the trials also get moved to June 18th to 27th. 2021 but they're still calling it the uh 2020 trials because you know they're keeping the name for the olympics so that also kind of means that if you qualified already because the marathon trials already happened in february so there's six members of the u.s olympic track and field team that have already been selected but because it's keeping the name there's no need to rerun the olympic marathon trials or anything like that so those six members are the first six to already lock in their spots so they'll get to go and now it's a matter of figuring out who else the rest of the team is, and that'll happen at the trials next year.
1: So as you mentioned, logistics still to come, many things uh, yet to be uh, updated, but you talk to a lot of athletes uh, in the track and field world. What's the overall sentiment with them as the Olympics, even now still really hangs in the balance.
0: So for the most part, there's just this general feeling that there is no outdoor track and field season this year because uh, those meets would be happening right now and they would be running through September And that's just not possible the governing global body world athletics has already said that no mark is going to count uh for olympic qualifying through november 30th i believe so that pretty much means even if you were to get a chance to compete at a track meet the time or anything doesn't count towards uh qualifying for the olympics so there really is very little incentive there this is just pretty much a year of training for people but the general sentiment is also is how can I do that to the highest level when so many factors are in the way? Gyms are closed. If you trained with a group, there's that opportunity isn't there anymore. Uh, so it's the weirdest and strangest buildup. It feels like an episode of Black Mirror if you were to try and find a sports angle to it. That's how weird things have gotten. But that's just the reality that we're living in. So people are doing what they can through social distancing and you know whatever's available to them some people obviously have much nicer gyms at home and there's definitely an imbalance there but it's everyone's doing what they can at this point and you know track will be back at some point the big question is what does that look like which is you know we start off with cross country in the fall what does a cross country meet look like with social distancing what is what do these marathons even look like with social distancing the marathons are the first thing that come up on the calendar and i think it's a little too soon
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great segue to what I was going to ask about next, which is marathons, right? As you mentioned, uh, you know, so many things are changing right now. The Boston Marathon, which was meant to happen last week as we're taping this, is scheduled for the fall. Um, Do you see that, first of all, as a realistic expectation that September will be um, a a good time for the Boston Marathon to, to start again?
0: I love the Boston Marathon, and it's one of my favorite events to go to every year. And it's something that a lot of people look forward to, you know, especially when they were they announced the fact that it's going to be scheduled for September. But a part of me doesn't believe that it'll happen this year. I mean, not to not for everyone, at least. This is a race that attracts thirty thousand plus people as of right now. That seems a little irresponsible to to happen. Could you hypothetically also limit it to just elite athletes where you have 20 runners, you know, going head to head, 20 men, 20 women, whatever it is, uh, racing, it's, it just doesn't feel the same, especially with a race like Boston, where so much of it is the atmosphere and the history and the tradition So September seems a little bit too soon for, for something like that to happen. Uh, even, and then right after that, they've really piled on all these marathons into a much smaller window. Usually these things happen. Tokyo is in March, uh, Boston and London are in April. Now they're in September and October. Then you go to Chicago, Chicago's in October and the New York city marathon, the world's biggest marathon, it has 50,000 plus people, is in November. And I spoke with the former race director of the New York City Marathon, uh, who retired in 2018, but now he's just kind of, like all of us, taking in the news. And the question I had for him was, what does it take for him to feel safe at a race like this? Because he has plans to, to run the New York City Marathon for the first time in a long time. And you know his answer was two-parted. He said he would like for everyone to be you know tested the problem is it's 50,000 people and you've got people coming in from you know Europe and Asia all around the world to come and run this race it's a lot of people to test when we already have a problem with the number of tests that you know doctors and nurses can get a hold of and the second part is is this something that you can even socially distance can you get enough space when there's fifty thousand people on these roads and that's a big challenge that it, that is going to just take place not just in marathons but in just races in general whether it's so i think we're going to have to take a step back and re-examine and, and and see how this sport is going to to look like in the future and if you look at it from a financial perspective too a lot of these races have also taken big hits on you know through cancellations and postponements and on the college level, I mean there's just many different levels to it. College levels, with with the cutting back of how much you know you're able to finance into athletic departments, track and field teams are in jeopardy because you know they're not some of these revenue-generating sports. So teams are going to, you know, start traveling less and have to really scale back on the economics of how a track and field team operates on the college level. So this pandemic has ripples on all levels within the sport, even though it's one of the simplest where all you, have, all you need is a pair of shoes and you put one foot in front of the other. So, yeah, it's, it's going to look different for the next couple of months. But right now, everyone running has become an escape for people for the most part
1: yeah really really good points especially on a sport that not only brings professionals but amateurs all in one uh event really really good points let's let's talk about the fact that you know your podcast you interview many runners uh You are friends with many of them. You understand exactly what it takes. You are a runner yourself. What are some of the most interesting stories you're getting from these runners as they deal from quarantine, whether it's the way that they're training or how mentally they're preparing themselves, etc.? What are some of the most interesting stories?
0: Yeah, so I mean, for the most part, you like to talk to these athletes ahead of big races, but no one has that right now. So it has become a question of like, how are you dealing with this? And also, like, what are you doing to kind of stay active? No one knows for how long this is going to go for. So it's that every athlete deals with this, you know, trying to peak at certain times in, during the year. But that's just not possible when you don't know when your next big race is. So, how people have been killing times and how they've been training has been fairly interesting. There's also, you know, the the fundraising initiatives that people are doing. What are they doing to give back to their communities or to the people on the front lines? For me, you know, one of my friends is uh, David Kilgore. He's a runner in New York City. He runs for the New York Athletic Club, and uh, what he did was he went back to his hometown in Palm Bay, Florida, and then he ran a hundred miles in one day, uh, which is ridiculous and absurd on all levels. Uh, some people don't run a hundred miles in a week. I some barely touch a hundred miles in a month, but he decided to do it
1: or a year, my friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he decided to do it in one day to try and raise money for, uh, local re- t- retailers. And this is kind of, this was, I thought a very interesting way of approaching it. He wanted to raise money for retailers in the New York city area, area, because you know, these small mom and pop running shops are being definitely being affected through the pandemic because they've had to close their doors. So buy gift cards to them and then give them to the frontline workers, the medical workers so they can get, you know, whether it's footwear or whatever it is, apparel so because they're on their feet all day. Uh, so it was a way of giving back to both people. Then there's also, you know, the the Strava component. Strava is the popular fitness and uh, social media esque app where people upload all their workouts and so you see people getting really creative whether it's running downhill miles that are ridiculously fast or on super flat course just trying to test out the limits of of their personal best times versus getting creative with things people are running marathons on balconies and on their rooftops and it's just absurd sometimes so there's been really a lot of creativity that comes with it too um and everyone's just kind of doing their part to do this safely and, and and alone for the most part. Running with people and with groups is what really makes the sport fun, and to have that taken away is very depressing. But we're it just you know this is a moment for us to pause really and reflect on what has made uh, those experiences so great and how we can make them even better going forward.
1: Yeah, it's such a tight community sharing the great things about uh, teamwork. Chris, finally, aside from being a writer and a journalist, as I mentioned, you're a runner yourself uh, and a great one. Uh, Dad, you you do a lot of races uh, through the year. How are you dealing with all of this at the moment during a time that you can't do what you love uh, at the very least as frequently as you wished?
0: So my big goal for this year was to break 3 hours for the marathon and I was hoping to do that at the Chicago Marathon. Now the Chicago Marathon hasn't been canceled, it hasn't been postponed yet. It's still on the calendar for October. But personally, you know, I'm a little doubtful that it's going to take place as scheduled. So right now I'm just using running as an outlet, you know, to, you know, not be stressed out during the day. You take in so much news just following everything, even in sports, you know, it's been, the pandemic has infiltrated that. So it just becomes so much. I've just been running and training daily uh, as normal and it's been great. I actually have seen some, you know, positive improvement in my, in my running and, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to be, you know, isolated with two of my running teammates. So we're convinced that we are among the healthiest people in the world because we keep to our own little bubble. Uh, And it's been fun so, but I, I, also can't wait to, to, to race again. Uh, that'll, whenever that will be. Uh, so, it's, it's been, it's been definitely weird, I would say. But, um, it's, it's definitely helped me out, and I'm less stressed. There's going to be a huge boom uh, after this in running and popularity, the popularity of the sport, because so many people are also finding that same feeling
1: chris chavez sports illustrated thank you so much for joining us
0: yeah thank you for having me
1: thanks to chris chavez and emma Bachelieri for joining me today we'll continue bringing you these stories throughout the coronavirus crisis if you like what we're doing please recommend this to a friend or family member and leave a rating and review on apple podcasts it really helps others find the show you can listen to Coronavirus and Sports for free wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe or follow us for the latest episodes. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.